knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You never go fly fishing alone. Even though angling is a pursuit that many gravitate toward because of the frequent solitude, true isolation isn't a reality for the vast majority of people. It might mean another car in the parking lot, it could sound like the droning of a jet just out of sight, it might even be the nagging knowledge that eventually you'll have to reel in your line, take off your boots, and drive back into the real world. And although fly fishing is an escape, we're incapable of detaching completely. Our thoughts rightly meander from fly presentation to work, family, and what's next. Our present fishing is profoundly linked to how we have fished and who has fished with us in the past. And chances are the trails we are walking, the flies we are using, and the rod we are casting were made by someone else. There's something to be said for that connection. While the fishing is about so much more than tackle and gear, it is still inseparably about the tackle and the gear. In pre-industrial times, this was a truth that unfolded in everyday life and angling. You knew the person who made your things. At the very least, you bought your things from someone who knew the person who made the things. For all the cost benefits and technological advancements of modern manufacturing, some of this connection has been lost. Impersonal entities might seem like another way to further cut yourself off from the outside world, but that isn't the kind of alone we want. Trends demonstrate that people have been lamenting this loss. If you're going to be carrying a few items into the woods and into the water, there's comfort in knowing they were crafted by a kindred spirit. What you hold in your hands while a hatch is going on around you, what you have on your shoulders while wandering into the wilderness, what you cradle your hard-earned fish in and then release it out of, what you pass on to your son or daughter for them to use the first time they go fly fishing alone. These things were once only in the mind of a man or a woman with a crazy idea. They were discussed over a beer or during a drive home from the river. Each went from I might to I can, and then into the exclusive group that can claim I am. Anxious hands filled out loan applications, nervous eyes shed tears, and petitioning hearts offered up prayers, all for what would eventually end up as real and as yours, fly fishing gear. Cultural trends within fly fishing demonstrate that people are responding to this opportunity to recapture a connection. People want to connect with people, even if through the things they use. And so small brands spring up every year from I might dreams. Large companies reflect on their history and the quote I can spirit of those who had crazy ideas years ago. 
Each do so because they represent anglers who know that you might find solitude, but you're not by yourself. You'll be creating an experience as you wade, cast, and tie, and you'll be doing all that with something that they made. In some small way, they come with you. This is why you never go fly fishing alone. What you just heard was an article called Why You Should Never Go Fly Fishing Alone, which I wrote in October of last year. This was a very well-received article. In fact, this article is my most read uh, post on Casting Across, which is saying something because it wasn't my most read post on its own um, the, the week it was released, but cumulative of, of all of the years that I've been writing Casting Across, this post only you know six, seven months old at this point uh, now is, is the uh, most read post. So I think it resonated with folks um, because like I, I, I said when I wrote it, you know I think people are beginning to appreciate that the stuff they fish with, it matters. So you kind of see both ends of this in the fly fishing world. And let me kind of preface all of this by saying, I mean, this is small potatoes. I mean, this is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. What fly rod you use, what reel you use, what line you use, what flies you use, what hooks you tie those flies on, what label shirts you wear, or if you even wear shirts with labels on them, it's not a big deal in the fly fishing world and, and certainly in kind of real life. But at the same time, if it doesn't take a lot of energy and it's where you derive your joy from, then I think that people should be allowed to do that. So there's kind of this, this groundswell, especially in social media, and I certainly understand where it comes from, of just kind of the negative kickback against the over-consumer you know, driven nature of especially fly fishing social media. And I get that, but what it, and, and so the, the way it looks is people who you know push brands more than they push the fish they catch or the experiences that they have, or they they um, they f- create experiences uh, that cater towards showcasing a particular item or a brand, and you know if that's someone's gig, then that's that is what it is, and if that's what makes someone happy, then that's fine too. But I know that a lot of folks do it because they're out trying to get more stuff, or because they want to, you know, boost their, you know, metrics on social media or whatever. And so I can appreciate folks who kind of get tired of that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that everybody who makes a post about a new rod they get or makes a post about a hat that they like is trying to um, gain attention for themselves or trying to become a brand ambassador or something like that. So I think that some of that comes from a legitimate concern that people have about the over-consumerization. That's not a word. You know what I'm talking about, though. The the consumer nature of, of fly fishing or of really anything else. You could make that argument for professional sports, for minor league sports, for amateur sports, for little league sports. You can talk probably about all sorts of other hobbies, and that's that's certainly the case. But at the same time, I think that people are going a little bit overboard um, from some sort of uh, sense of, of, of policing uh, the fly fishing world. So that's a huge preamble. I understand that. But I think that there is something to be said for enjoying the gear you use. I mean, if you really wanted to be a curmudgeon about something, you could go out and chop down a piece of bamboo and turn it into a really nice fly rod. Or if you really don't like spending a lot of time, you can just tie some you know, monofilament to the end of that piece of bamboo and, and do a great little tenkara impression. But of course, that offends plenty of people to assume that they would you know, quote-unquote stoop to that type of fishing. 
So if you like to go out and buy a rod that you enjoy casting, whether it's 50 bucks or 500 bucks or $1,500, then more power to you. Again, as I've said before and written before, as long as the time and energy and resources that go into that thought process and that purchase aren't detracting from your overall fly fishing experience, and more importantly, your real life, then again, go and do what makes you happy. But kind of getting back to this article that I wrote and getting back to the the topic at hand, I think it is important to realize that there is a connection, especially today in 2019. If you look across the scope of fly fishing brands, there's a lot of small companies out there. And what's really cool is we've really seen a resurgence in gear that is in one way, shape, or form, either completely manufactured in the United States or assembled in the United States um, from components that are sourced mostly in the United States, or even bare minimum companies that are based out of the United States that aren't um, part of some big multinational conglomerate. And even, I mean, I, I don't want to like try to make everybody happy, but even some of those giant mega you know companies have people who are in charge of certain divisions, especially fly divisions within their, their big companies that are passionate and are you know real men and women who fish in real waters and have an actual say in the gear that gets produced even if it's being you know produced in in korea or in china they have a say in it so i mean again it's hard to paint anybody with a broad brush because you probably have jerks that own american companies and you probably have really nice guys that are part of a, a you know a cog in a wheel of a giant multinational corporation and Honestly, I think that that speaks volumes more than being able to stamp your product with something. But um, all that to say, you have opportunities to know the people that are making your gear. I think about fly fishing shows this winter that I went to, and whether it be fly rods from some of the top names in the business, I was able to shake hands with and have conversations with uh, people who are in charge of design and people who are actually making these things. Um, when it comes to people who are tying flies, um, whether they're coming up with the patterns or they're actually doing the, the hard work for some of these smaller shops, you're able to talk to these people. Sling packs and nets and uh, artwork, all of these things, there has been this real neat groundswell. And I think social media has actually kind of brought us back into contact with each other, where the internet, uh, even 10 years ago, might have distanced us from the people that were making things social media has really made things much more personable. So you see faces a lot more, whereas a traditional website, you're not going to see the kind of daily life rough content that you see on Instagram or Facebook. Now you see that, and so you're able to interact with people. And a lot of folks will respond to a, a question that you have in a, in a direct message or, or in an email or even a phone call. And what that does is, is it creates a connection with you and what you have. And it very well may be that when you go to choose a uh, fly rod that you think back to a conversation that you had with person from company A and person from company B and you like both fly rods and they're kind of the same and how they feel and their cost, but you really enjoyed having a conversation with somebody. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that is the only reason why you should buy something. But for somebody who is on the fence and has that experience, then I think that's a really cool thing. I mean, you can extrapolate that even down to a fly shop. You have a, a fly shop employee that speaks very highly of, of one company versus another. And you, if you have a relationship with that person, then you can make your decision based upon that. 
So I think that that's, that's something that's really, really neat that we've, we've gotten to a point where we can have those kind of interactions with people and those can inform our purchases and then they can inform how we use the product. We're holding something in our hand and we think, I like this for more than its utilitarian purpose. And if you think that's kind of you know fancy and poetic and frilly and whatever, then that's fine. That's your prerogative. If you totally see a fly box as just a fly box, then awesome. But if you have a fly box that someone you know colored down with sharpies, or um, you know there's a decal on it from somebody, or even you know the guy who designed that certain fly box, you think well, that's kind of cool. That now I take this with me everywhere I go. Then that can add something to the experience um, more than just buying something off of a rack that you know there's a thousand of. Um, Again, doesn't make or break your experience, but it's something worth considering. Now, I'll be totally upfront. There's a lot of joy that I get about writing about fly fishing brands and about products. That's part of what Casting Across is about. It's the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. And what I love is when all three of those come together and I get to write about a product or a company or a person that's based in a community and you get to see how they all interact and they're out there and you know they might take flack because they on social media or on you know the internet because they emphasize that they're a person that's making this or that they employ people in the community and people might see that as as a stab sentimentality but i think especially for some of the companies that i've worked with and written about there's some legitimacy to that and it makes me cheer for them you know even if it's not something i necessarily need I just cheer that they sell more of them and that they, you know, perpetuate their business. There are some companies I have professional relationships with, and uh, I, I try to make that clear when I write. But I would say that less than five percent of what I write on casting across is is quote in exchange for something. There's a lot of times I'll write about a company and I've used their gear in the past, and I might use their gear now. But what I write, it it's not in exchange for anything. Because I just like to tell stories. I like to tell um, the the again the people, the places, and things that that we all, whether we be quote in the industry or just a, a weekend fly fisher, you know things that we use uh, because that's interesting to me. It doesn't drive my fly fishing, and it certainly doesn't drive my life. But I I find it interesting, and, and I think a lot of folks do as well. And that's something that you know whether it be a small brand. Um, that makes one thing and makes it well, or an enormous brand, one of these kind of legacy heritage companies. As I alluded to in, in the, uh, the, the post that I read earlier, you know, there's a lot of calling back to the previous generations and some of these large brands because they know people like that legacy element in what they're using. A lot of fly fishing um, companies retain the same name of a product line that they had 50 years ago or 75 years ago they just update it add a couple of more letters you know change a couple of uh, designations on it but it links us to the people that make our stuff and the um, people that have been using their stuff for generations gone by so something to consider something to think about you know the things that you use are they purely utilitarian or does is there more significance and if not more significant on their own, the significance that you derive from them, I think that matters. So this week on Casting Across, I wrote two posts. And actually, the first one really segues well into what I've been talking about. And the post is called, It's Just Something, It's Fly Fishing Gear. And this drives me kind of nuts when people say, you know, they, they look at something and they say, oh, well, that's just 
whatever. You know, that's just a t-shirt. Well, of course it's just a t-shirt, but it's a t-shirt with a picture of a trout on it, okay? I mean, if you don't want a t-shirt with a picture of a trout on it, then don't buy it. And don't give someone flack for wanting a t-shirt with a picture of a trout on it. Um, and the example I used were some strike indicators that I've been using from Rio that they're just hollowed out fly line. But you know what? I don't want to go out and get a fly line hollowed out myself, so I'll spend a few bucks to get the prepaid stuff. So that's the, the first post. The second one is called All the Fish You Can't Catch. And uh, I took a trip to the aquarium with my kids this week, and this uh, experience just just kind of made me think of all the fish that are out there in, the, in, in creation and how so few of them I'll ever have a chance to pursue. And even if I did have the chance to pursue them, there's nothing I could do to catch them with a fly. Just their um, behavior, their biology, um, whatever. And so it's kind of a, um, a look at that uh, you know, humbling truth. This uh, week's recommendation is a book. It's called Spring Creek Strategies, and it's written by Mike Heck. The subtitle is Hatches, Patterns, and Techniques. Um, Spring Creeks, especially the Spring Creeks of South Central Pennsylvania and uh, down into Maryland and Virginia, hold a special place in my heart. But this book um, will certainly be uh, a helpful tool for anyone who's fishing those waters or Spring Creeks anywhere because it's, again, Hatches, Patterns, and Techniques for Fly Fishing Spring Creeks which are a completely different critter than uh, what you would find uh, in a freestone river. Uh, Mike Heck is a guide um, in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania on the Falling Springs Creek, and so he has a lot of experience with fishing um, some of those fabled waters that are that are fabled, but at the same time, they are legitimate fisheries that receive a lot of pressure. So um, the things that he communicates in this book, Spring Creek Strategies, um, will absolutely uh, translate to your um, limestone stream or spring-influenced creek that you fish. So definitely check that out. There'll be a link to um, that book on Amazon in the show notes on castingcross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Cross Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.